Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. How often have you questioned whether or not your team was accountable? Or how many times have you told someone on your team to hold other people accountable? Well, I have to tell you, accountability seems to be the hot buzzword at the moment. I think it may be one of the big topics for 2023. And we're going to argue today that it's probably as important as trust and integrity. But then the question is, what do you need to be doing as a leader to drive greater accountability? Again, a question I get all the time. So my guest today, Lynn Curry, also has the privilege of having been a guest twice before. There are very few people who fall in that category, Lynn. She's the president of Communication Works, Inc., based in Anchorage, Alaska. She's a founder of the Workplace Coach Blog, which you can find at workplacecoachblog.com. She's the author of six books, including Navigating Conflict, Tools for Difficult Conversations, and the book we're talking about today, Managing for Accountability, a Business Leader's Toolbox. One she's done with us before on this show is Beating the Workplace Bully as well. Lynn has written a weekly Dear Abby of the Workplace newspaper column for 42 years at ADN.com. And she's worked with more than 4,400 organizations. Her weekly blog, again, workplacecoachblog.com, has subscribers from 130 countries. Now, what makes Lynn unique is that she is qualified in court as an expert witness in management area practices in HR and in workplace issues, and particularly around conflict and bully and now with this accountability. Um, so, Lynn, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure Thank to have you Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you back. Two fabulous shows before. I'm looking forward to a great one on this one. Now, why accountability? Out of all the things that you write about and talk about and hear about, why do you think accountability is so important? As a leader and as a manager and as someone in this country, uh, accountability speaks to my head and my heart. Uh, I want our government to be accountable. I think we all do. Uh, As a leader, if your employees aren't accountable, you can't thrive and succeed. And for me, accountability is, it changes everything. It um, Once I decide to be accountable, to commit, to be all in, it engages my energy. Um, when I admit my part in situations, uh, it gives me the power to create improvement. When I take a look at what I need to learn, it gives me the chance to change my future. So for me, accountability uh, is really a game changer. Okay, you said, and I did in the intro, that you believe it's as important as trust and integrity. Why? Why? I mean, you just said that when I accept accountability, I have power back myself. But how does that fit this all together with me with trust and integrity in your thinking? Well, account, trust and integrity are very nebulous. They're very real, but they're nebulous. Accountability is tangible. And it changes the world. For example, I lived and worked in Nome, Alaska, uh, on the northwest area of the U.S. And the suicide rate when I went up there was 44 times national average. 
I ran an alcohol, drug abuse, suicide clinic, and I picked as my team six peer counselors who were part of the dynamic of suicide. Uh, They were leaders among their peers, and like all of the kids in Nome, uh, or many, they they consumed a lot of alcohol and consumed a lot of drugs. And I trained them in counseling skills. And after two years or two weeks, sorry, I asked them, how many of you know someone who's killed themselves? Everybody raised their hand. How many of you would like to take suicide to zero? And they looked at me and said, really? And I said, yeah, let's eliminate suicide. Let's have it be gone. What would we need to do to get there? And they brainstormed all kinds of things. And one young woman named Bug Pawak said, we would need to get off drugs ourselves. And I said, oh, I gave everybody a magic marker. And I said, make a star by the item on that list that would give us most power to eliminate suicide. That's the one they starred. And I said, okay, now when will we start? Mm -hmm. So they took accountability. They decided to commit to be all in to make personal dramatic changes. Right. And suicide went to zero and stayed at zero for three years from 44 times national average. To me, that's what accountability does. Okay. But that would say that I can't just say to somebody, hey, Lynn, you're now accountable for taking suicide to zero or whatever budget or delivery or so on. It's something you have to accept as a goal. And choose. Um, I think that is exactly what is wrong with accountability in the workplace today. Managers are scrambling with quiet resignation and quiet, uh, sorry, the great resignation and quiet firing or (laughs) quiet hiring and all of it. They are struggling to figure out how to get people to do what they say they will. Mm -hmm. The more they push on people, the more people resist and simply look for a different job. So how does a supervisor get an employee to buy in? Accountability is really a personal choice. It's taking ownership. And I believe the whole notion that it should be a hammer. You're not accountable. I want you to be accountable is exactly what we remember with our parents when we were teenagers. And we frankly didn't want to be accountable. Okay. So it's a personal choice. People have to buy into it. They have to be committed to it. It's down to the individual. And then my job as the manager is to kind of get people down the path where they want to be, they want to take personal accountability. Am I getting the gist here? Yes. And I think the manager can ignite that. The first thing to do is the manager has to live it him or herself. When I handed out my uh, managing for accountability to peer reviewers, several of my peer reviewers said, This made me sit up all night and think about who I was Mm -hmm. and whether I was stepping to the plate and whether people could trust me and whether I was solution-oriented or blame-oriented. So managers need to themselves 
model what they want. There's also the trick of figuring out who to hire, who would be an accountable person. And then there's a deal that's made when someone comes aboard. It's very similar to the deal we make when we make a decision to invest in a stock or mutual fund or bond. We think, okay, what's the upside? What's the downside? What do I have to put in? What's the risk? What do I win if I invest? I think a manager has to say, here's why I hired you. Here's why I believe in you. Here's why I believe you can believe in us. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. Here's what I give you. And here's what I expect. Managers have that last piece. They say, here's what I expect. But where's all the rest of it? Ah, so, and then sort of what I expect. All right. So one of the things that I know when you're trying to get, um, let's say to delegate, to get people to do other things, or when you're trying to build trust, Stephen Covey will say this in his work on trust, that trust starts with an agreed upon understanding of what we're trying to achieve, a goal. Agreed, mutually understood, mutually agreed, not halfway agreed. And I think in some ways that's what you're saying when you say this deal. You want to say, here's why I hired you or here's why you're on the team. Here's why I believe in you. Here's what's the upside. And here's why you should believe in me or believe in the company or believe in the team. And then followed by here's what I expect. It's that whole piece that sort of builds the context where people can choose to take accountability. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people aren't sure they picked the right job when they come aboard on day one. Right. They're still looking on Indeed for other potential jobs. They're looking around the workplace, seeing what they think. A lot of times the underbrush of the workplace comes to them and they have doubts, but they don't want to tell the manager those because they don't want to get whoever told them the stories in trouble. And they're making their decision on day one and the first week that they're going to leave within six months. That first year churn happens to a lot of people. Right. It does. And especially today, it's an employee's market, not an employer's market. People with skills have plenty of places to go. And I've spent an entire week with a client coaching people in a functional area. If they have anybody left at the end of the year, I'm going to be shocked because this is exactly what the problem is. People aren't bought in. They don't believe it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now I think I'm getting to understand why you say integrity is important. Trust is important. But accountability is the secret sauce that makes it all work. I think accountability is simply one of the three. And without accountability... Trust and integrity are very important, but they don't power the organization through to meeting certain goals. All right. So I may have a lot of trust in you as my manager or in the organization or in the team. Um, We may all be saying what we really truly believe and think. So we've got high integrity. We've got high trust. But we don't have a path forward that I can be sure other people are doing their piece and I'm doing my piece. Yes. All right. I have to go back to, um, not that I want to dwell on suicide in Nome, Alaska, but it's such a powerful story 
that you get a group of six people to say, well, if we're going to take suicide rate to zero, then the most important thing for us to do is to get off drugs ourselves. Kind of what what made that? And I assume they did that they at least for some period of time got a, what made them want to do that? Was that peer? I mean, can you explain how they got it wasn't that? peer pressure? It was each individual coming to terms in his or her own soul mm-hmm. that they had someone they loved who had killed themselves. And that if they looked around their peer group, one other could kill themselves that year. Okay. And it was partly me. Um, I, we worked in a little ramshackle, uh, flimsy house at the end of Front Street. Uh, the wind blew hard. It was gnome. It could get to 50 and 60 below zero. But we had 90 kids a night come into that center. Hmm. You, we wore out the rug every year in front okay. of the fireplace. There was a, out, uh, uh, a porta pallet thing on the front porch in a, in a little shed. It wasn't as fancy as a porta potty. And every morning I carried it to the back porch and emptied it. Uh-huh. The fact that I did that, um, a kid came in one day with a gun to kill himself, and I went up to him, took it, and said, if you're going to shoot somebody, you can shoot me. Everybody told that story for weeks. It was, let's put our lives on the line for each other. Okay. I so- regret that I did that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you're here to tell the day, and let's hope that our, you know our issues are not the same as dealing with suicide. But there is a bit of willingness to do anything yourself to make the cause, the mission, go forward. I heard that in your story. There is people watching your willingness to do anything, and then there is also your personal commitment um, to the purpose of reducing suicide. Oh I yes, that's straight. Yes. And presumably there's some sense of the team believes that everybody is equally committed. Yes, though there is a lot of forgiveness in a a group, a lot of knowing that everybody can't be 100% every day. But that doesn't mean you blame somebody, you just remind them you want them back at first base. Okay. Okay, so people slip, we bring them back to camp or back on back on track again. All right. Um, I think what's magical about that story, Lynn, is the journey that gets people to say, this is the number one thing that all of us need to do and we agree with it. That that would just be mad, that would be gold dust in any team, anywhere, if you got the team getting there to say we all agree with it. Can you give me an example of um, accountability and getting a a team to be accountable for something that's in a less dramatic story? So let's take a average corporation with an average deliverable. Can you give me a different example? Uh, So my own company, uh, we were sort of a SWAT team. If anyone uh, faltered, everybody else flew into place. So if we had a a workshop to do, and the person who is supposed to be there early uh, called in sick. Everybody else is going to get the room together, and they're going to figure out who is best able to train that day, and they're going to grab the handouts and PowerPoints, and the rest of the team is going to help them, and they might even decide two of us together will take it. Okay. 
They will also decide what to offer the clients who didn't get the person they initially expected. Right. Right. Okay. How did you get your team to the point that they feel all mutually accountable for the delivery of that workshop? That was a process. Okay. And it starts with sitting down and asking each person uh, in a group to say, here's what I bring to the team. Here are my goals, because that my goals is so very important. And here's what you can expect out of me. And here's what I expect out of you. It You create a team contract. Okay. And you have a mission. Uh, ours was to heal the work at work, heal the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that is a little bit frou-frou. However, my number two person, an operations person, an MBA, a total numbers guy, when I, a year into it, said, should we get a more tangible mission? <laughs> he said, oh, no. I buy in to heal the world in the workplace. Okay. All right. So each person says, what am I bringing to the team? What are my goals? So I'm achieving what I want to achieve. What can you expect of me? And we have a mission that we all believe is worthy. And what do I expect of each of you? And what do I expect of our leader? Okay. It's exciting when you hear from your employees, here's what I expect of the leader. Um, it's a little frightening. Yeah. And sometimes not nearly as much as you thought it was. So I, you know, the cat, that can cut both ways. That's a very healthy conversation. All right. I'm getting the sense from this, Lynn, as I listen to you talk, that what you mean by accountability is much different than how I think people think when they throw the word around accountable. Yes. So I, It's a personal choice. It's a decision people make. They decide to take ownership. They decide to commit. They decide it's on me. Um, They're going to show up. They're going to show up ready to deal. They're going to take initiative, tackle obstacles. Very important. They're going to admit their mistakes. Okay. All right. Um, That sounds an awful lot like uh, psychological trust. But what's interesting to me is I actually think accountability might be the route to get to psychological trust, not the reverse direction. And people with integrity have accountability and people with accountability have integrity. Mm -hmm. You can trust somebody with accountability. And if you have accountability, you've learned to trust yourself. Accountability means trust yourself. I like that one. Okay. All right, let's shift this then, Lynn. I'm, I'm kind of getting getting the drift of this one and really liking sort of how all these pieces come together. Um, why, what's to, <laughs> this is an odd question. I hear people all the time saying, I want you to be accountable or people saying, I want to be accountable, even if they sort of say it's a personal choice, but then they get stuck. Because I've got a team member, you know, halfway around the world that said that they would deliver and they're not delivering, maybe for some very legitimate reasons. But my life is, you know, my work life is on hold until I can get that work product from you. And that it just feels like it's this amorphous beast that keeps spreading and flooding out. And I can't kind of can't get any sense. So I often don't even know what to do next to maintain my personal choice and my personal accountability? Well, I call BS on that. 
Okay, so good. I hear it a lot, which okay. is if this other person would do this, then I would. Mm-hmm. I think is we've always got to start with ourselves in a marriage. If a husband and wife keeps saying, this is what you need to do until I love you. Yeah, right. Wait a second. How about if I love you first? Yeah. Uh, if my manager is bothering me by interrupting me every hour, how about if I go to my manager in 45 minutes and say, I had three things to share with you. Mm-hmm. How about if you preempt what you don't like by modeling what you do like? Okay. Okay. Ooh, that's a powerful one. Preempt what you don't like by modeling what you do like. Whoa. Okay. That's a very interesting one. I agree with you. If your manager is one of those people who wants information, the smartest strategy you have is to give them information before they ask. Yeah. I mean, you're feeling you're feeling in control or accountable, and your manager is much more likely to see you as okay being accountable and responsible. And at that point, they can trust you and yeah. stop micromanaging because yeah. you've proven yourself. It's it's all on me. It's not on you, and that's the heart of accountability. Uh, if somebody complains that their supervisor needs to get their act together before they will do something, uh, well, you can model up. Or you can think, how come I'm still here? Yeah. You can ask yourself, what have I done to change that situation? Have I had a non-judgmental talk with the manager? Right. right. The moment you label the manager or complain or blame, you're not being accountable. Right. So accountability is I recognize my ability to take an action. I um, know that there are many choices I could make in taking an action, and I'm not going to expect you to be the first mover. I'm going to take a positive action to put us in a good direction. Yes. Okay. So I'm not going to be a victim in my language, not in your language, in effect. I'm in not my language as well. Yeah. Uh, accountability gives you tremendous power. If you look at your your part in a situation, now you've taken control over your part, what's what's important. Right. I had um, a case just this week, actually several cases, <laughs> where the organization is in a massive reorganization. There's a lot of confusion about who's doing what job, what the roles and responsibilities are. It's going to be a while before that is ever really clear. And maybe it never should be, if I'm really honest, given the kind of transformation this business is going through. And so my argument to one person was, You've been waiting for two to three months to get clarity. Why don't you just decide what it is you think you need to do? Because you know it better than anybody else in the organization. And sell it, influence, inform, communicate, get people on board with that. But you take ownership for what you think is most important and what you need to do. That's what you're talking about here. Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Then with that understanding, let's shift to what it is the manager needs to be doing. I think you said earlier that the manager has to instill particular or they have to exhibit particular sets of behaviors. You talked about some of these, but kind of just give me a rundown on what a manager needs to be doing to create an environment where people will take accountability. Well, 
one thing I like a manager to do is take a look at him or herself first and say, am I doing the things that would cause someone to believe in me? Can they trust me? Am I being fair? Am I listening? Am I taking their concerns seriously? Uh, Am I stepping to the plate? Uh, Am I working as hard or harder than everybody else? Okay. Uh, Have I made expectations clear? Mm-hmm. Have I found out what my employees have as their expectations? I love it when a manager does a 360-degree review and asks his or her employees to uh, rate him or her in terms of how they communicate, how they decision-make, uh, how they are as a role model, how they are as a leader. Uh, when, you, when you're willing to take feedback, that's incredibly important. It's also essential that the manager does a really good job of hiring. Okay. Uh, and then spends time the first day, the first week with orienting the new employee. When a manager says, come on in, here's the HR person, they'll explain everything. That's abdicating the manager role. That's like saying, hello, here's a cup of coffee. See you later. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't work. It's especially horrid when somebody's leaving because they don't want to be there anymore and that person spends the first week with a new employee uh, training them yeah Uh, the new employee will bond with the person who's leaving right and uh you don't want that to be the impression everybody's the new employee is getting right the stunning statistics on how many people leave uh in six months having made their decision in the first week is incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't have it at the tip of my tongue right now, but it's stunning. Wow. I think that is um, should give every manager and every leader of every business pause to think because that is a hit to the bottom line. When I spend all this time to recruit somebody and bring them in and onboard them and get them trained and all that, knowing that in the first couple of weeks, they've decided they're not staying. Yes. Even if that's only 10% of people, that is real, and I suspect is much higher than that based on what I see. I certainly see an awful lot of people come to me uh, as a coach and want to talk about what they can do, but they've already made their decision that they're not sticking with the company. Yeah. It's like it was waste- we're wasting everybody's time. True story. Yeah. Interesting strategy. So from the manager... Um, I want to be able to show, I want to know that my pe- my team trusts me. It's not whether I think they should, but whether they do. And that means, am I listening to them as a manager? Am I working harder? And that means, are they seeing me work hard, even if my work is very different than theirs? Have I made my expectations clear? And that means, have they understood my expectations? Not that I've just said the words. Um, do I know what my employees are expecting or hoping for, I would ask? Do I take the feedback from them so I understand what they're expecting? Did I make a good hire at the very beginning? <laughs> Have I spent time in the first days orienting people? Now, that, I don't think that means that the manager needs to show you how to log onto your computer necessarily, but there are specific things you want to talk to your manager about in those first weeks and hear their vision and their expectations and the team and answer questions. So I have to do everything, but you got to be doing something. Otherwise you are leaving on the table. Who's going to influence that person. 
Correct. Okay. All right. Perfect. Well, this is a great spot to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to tackle the number one concern there, which is not the number one, but one of the ones that we don't talk about often. How do you know if you've hired somebody who's going to be a good hire or not? Great. My guest today is Lynn Curry. You can read more of her work at workplacecoachblog.com. The book that we're talking about is Managing for Accountability, a Business Leader's Toolbox. And we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Lynn Curry, and Lynn, we're talking about Lynn's book, among many, but this particular one is Managing for Accountability, a Business Leader's Toolbox. Now, I think that what's interesting about this whole thing is that I believe every manager I've ever interacted with would say, I want my employees to be accountable. But I don't think they have a good understanding of what accountability really looks like. I certainly don't believe that they understand that accountability begins as a personal choice. And I'm very convinced that they haven't stopped to say, what am I doing as a manager that encourages my direct reports to make the personal choice to be accountable? I can't just say, hey, you're accountable and think that that's going to work. Um, so that shift is a really important one. And by the way, it's consistent with everything we're talking about, what makes for great teams, about psychological safety, about performance, about innovation, about engagement and commitment. And, you know, it just feels like that this is a really important nuance on an old word. So I want to talk for a minute about how you hire, 
But before we say how to hire, let's get an example of what an accountable employee actually looks like, because otherwise we don't know how we're going to hire them. So can you give me an example of what an accountable employee looks like? Well, I love this topic because right now so many people have given up. Ah, And people are full of excuses and people are tired and the pandemic made everybody want to give up. And the idea of a looming recession makes people want to give up and inflation is painful. Um, And interestingly enough, internationally right now, uh, in Peru, there are people trapped in Machu Picchu. So I'm going to talk about a different Machu Picchu story and uh, a guide that didn't give up. Okay. Six of us landed in Cusco, intending to trek to Machu Picchu and major tourist uh, destination. And the day we landed, 11 unions went on strike. Mm -hmm. So our guide met us and said, you're going to wake up at 3.30 and we're going to get out of the city before the picketers get to the exits. Okay. Well, we didn't. There were Ah. boulders on all of the exits. Uh, There were picketers there waving shovels. And uh, we went to four exits. And I I said to the guide, it says Americans on the bus. I wonder if we can cover up those, those and put something else. And he said, yes, and we're going to hit a back road. So we hit seven back roads before we found a back road. And then we started off. And the first time we went to a train station, we found that the rails were all split apart. The trains had broken windows. We weren't going to take our train. Uh, The major roads were all stopped. Uh, The trains were all dismantled. We took a series of rickety little buses off mountain trails. Uh, going from village to village. Uh, We did a lot of walking when there weren't buses. Uh, And we finally got to a place that was in a little tiny rickety van that was eight miles from the place we were to catch a train that supposedly ran. Except those eight miles have a traffic jam. And (laughs) there were eight miles of cars trying to get into that place. But the other lane was open. So he moved our car into the wrong lane until somebody came the other way, and then he moved out, and then he moved into the wrong lane again. Uh, Interestingly enough, all the cars behind us moved behind us. They went, oh, that's a great idea. So he took leadership for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, We ultimately got there, and of course, the trains weren't running. Uh, So we had now a long walk. So he's looking at the maps and saying, here's an old abandoned train track that used to go into Machu Picchu. Let's walk that. Well, we did. When we got to Machu Picchu, instead of thousands of people there that day, there were 48 people. (laughs) Yes. Because our guy did not give up. Mm -hmm. Every time he met an obstacle, he said, here's what we're going to do. And I believe... When you have an employee like that, when you have a leader like that, it ignites. All right. I want to tell, I agree with you. And what an inspiring story. And I'm infinitely jealous that you got that experience at Machu, just for the record, too, while we were talking about Machu Picchu, while we were talking about it. 
But in an organization where I don't give up and I keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and sort of burn the midnight oil and rally and take total accountability and deliver. And next week or the week after, there's another one. And the next week or the week after, there's another one. There's a point at which my willingness to continue to not give up and do everything possible to make it happen starts to dwindle or I start to resent it one or the other. What's your advice in those cases? Well, that's why so many people have started their own businesses. Mm -hmm. I also believe everybody has a sweet spot. Yeah. And if you can find out what the sweet spot is, they will work infinitely hard to succeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to have nine teenage boys live with me. (laughs) And every one of them had a sweet spot. If somebody doesn't know that, that's the spot on the bat where you hit the ball and it goes further. For my son, it was the fact he had a daughter. Uh, For other of the boys, it was the fact that somebody believed in them for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think in an organization, sometimes the sweet spot is a small team of coworkers who truly like each other Mm -hmm. and feel like they're dependent on and depend on each other. But I also think that if it's not working in your organization, go out and find another organization that will work, or start your own. Yeah. An incredible number of people are starting their own business now. That's what managers of organizations have to be aware of. They have to figure out how to get those people to feel entrepreneurial right. in their company right. so that instead of losing them, uh, those people will want to work hard for that company. Uh, we're going to heal the world in the workplace. We're going to be the number one coffee stand in the universe. Uh, Okay. So we're back to the manager starting to recognize what they are accountable for for the team. And that is a step in the right direction. All right. So an accountable employee is somebody who really doesn't give up and who has that sense of personal commitment of we are going to make it happen. And that ignites other people to do more. And it works largely because there's a team of coworkers that believe in the same thing, like each other, committed to the same thing, and that builds momentum and sustains. All right. Sounds wonderful, Lynn. How do I look for somebody like that when I'm hiring? Are there criteria I look for or how do I do that? Well, you post a really good ad. Most ads aren't really ads. They are job descriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh you post an ad that says, not like any other accounting firm. Yeah. Or if you really want to make a difference. I helped a small organization that had trouble hiring people because of its location right in the ad. 100% employee owned. Do okay. you want a stake in your future? Uh-huh. You You write a headline for your ad and then you explain what makes that organization exciting. And then when you get the applicant, you ask them some really searching questions, like okay. uh, if one of your coworkers suddenly left, what would you, what would you, how would you handle it? And you want someone who says, well, if there are certain functions that they're doing that nobody else is doing, I might look at which ones I can help handle. Okay. I ask people uh, when I'm hiring them for clients. Uh, what could another employer do to woo you away? Mm. 
I'm hoping the employee says, well, if I'm really happy, I'm not going to be wooed unless the money is really significant because right. you don't want somebody who leave for a dollar an hour. Right. There's always another employer who offer that. I ask them questions that I would expect them to handle. Uh, you've just done X, Y, Z. A coworker or a client comes up to you and says, PQR, right. what would you do? Mm-hmm. I want to hear their answer. I can also ask, how have you shown accountability to an earlier employer? But most people have figured out a good plastic answer to that. Yeah. So I want to give them hypotheticals. Okay. So I'm going to take events that are actually happening in our team, realistically happening in our team. That's part of setting expectations, too. This is what it's like to be here. You know, you've done this. Somebody does this. There's this issue. How are you going to handle it? Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And then I want to know that there's a little bit of stick to itiveness that they're not in wooed away. And if they say, if I'm really happy, then I'm not going to be wooed away. And I think that's follow on question is what's going to make you really happy is the obvious thing that you would like to know. Um, and then we want to know what are they going to do when somebody leaves? Yes. And there's and work to be done. A way to ask that really happy is we all know what makes a job at A, what makes a job at D or an F. What are those little things that would make a job an A minus or a B plus? Mm. What are those little sticky points? Okay. The act of asking those questions at time of hire creates a bond between the hiring interviewer and the potential employee. And then the first day at the end, you should be asking questions. How was it in terms of what you expected? At the end of the first weeks, you should be asking similar questions at the end of the first month. The orientation process, the bond process between the manager and employee and between the employees and each other doesn't stop. That is what creates a really thriving organization. Okay. All right. So there's asking to understand what the other person's experiences were and taking that feedback Seriously, even if it wasn't necessarily what you wanted to hear, or even if it was, um, and doing something about it. Yes. Okay. All right. I love that. Just to remind, hiring, some great hiring questions here. So when we get a job description that is offering the proposition of what you get, why you should believe in us, as opposed to here's the work you're going to be doing. Two, and ask people situations. What would you do in this situation? Like if a coworker left or if a problem happened. And you're going to ask, what is, could a, what would another employer have to do to woo you away? Or my favorite part of this one is what makes a job just an A minus as opposed to an A plus? Or what makes it a B as opposed to an A? And you're looking for the sticky points that drive people down by a little bit. Those sticky points often usually carry a lot more weight over time. All right. Yes. And then at the first day, I'm checking in. How do we meet expectations? And what else is needed? I'm checking in at the first week. I'm checking in at the first month with some of those same questions. Is this what you were expecting? What are you expecting of me also? And I'm right back to my manager behaviors, which I want to read again because I think you set a great list which is, do my employees trust me? Am I listening to my employees? 
Do my employees see me working as hard as they are, even if it's different kind of work? Um, do my employees understand my expectations? Uh, do I know and understand my employees' expectations? Am I taking feedback? Have I asked the right questions to make sure the person was a good hire? And have I taken time in the first days to build the bonds and get people oriented? Great job. Okay. I took good notes, so it's not too hard to remember from my notes. That's quite a nice list, Lynn. Okay. You say, um, I want to just reiterate this one, that you know you have to get the right payoff to people. For people. And when you say payoff, I think an awful lot of people think salary and bonus. But I'm presuming that's not what you mean. Payoff is salary and bonus. Or do you? How do I, what do you mean by this? I have to get the right payoff for employees. Um, I'm thinking of my best employees, uh, some of who continue with me to this day. And one of them has been retired from three or four other jobs before they came to work for me. So uh-huh. they now work not for money. They work because they like the kind of work, they like the connection, they like what they're doing in the world. Uh, payoff is often psychological, it's often emotional. Now, a lot of people don't have that freedom. They are, are truly working for money, except there's also a payoff when you work really hard. If you're on cruise control, it doesn't give you very much. You come to work and it's sort of like uh, dribbling a basketball up and down the court all day. Yeah. The Getting a, a, a basket is a payoff. Mm-hmm. And when you push yourself hard, when you develop your muscles, uh, that's a new skill you learned. Uh, that was a really tough situation and you figured out a different strategy. Um, you tested yourself and you went outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. To use one of your phrases, huge payoff. Okay. So the pay, well, and presumably for different employees, the payoff comes in different forms. So for some people, it would be, I like the people that I'm working with and there's a strong connection. And for others, it would much more be, I like being able to push myself and to learn, to test my capabilities. And for others, it might be, I like the impact that I can see that I'm having, or I like the recognition that comes from the impact that I'm having. So I would argue that there's multiple reasons that give people that sense of payoff. I think, um, and I'd be interested in your reaction to this, I think that the moment the only payoff employees have in their mind is salary or bonus, you have lost them from an accountability point of view. Oh, absolutely. Uh, money is is the bottom line, but it's very, very basic. It doesn't excite. Uh, so beyond money is that connection, is the sense that you've done a really good job and other people are really impressed, mm-hmm. uh, that you've pleased yourself, mm-hmm. uh, that you've achieved something you hadn't known you could do. Uh, when I'm working with those nine teenage boys, they each had a payoff whenever they made a, a they did something they hadn't known that they could do. I've been asked, I'm going to make a connection here to exactly that statement, but um, I've been asking people for the last nine months or so, who inspires you and what is it they do that inspires you? You know, why? Why are you inspired by them? 
The answer I get more often than not is some version of the following statement. That person believed in me more than I believed in myself. True. They believed I could do more than I knew I could do myself. And that's exactly what you're saying, that people see that they achieved something they didn't know they could do, and that becomes a payoff. But the impetus to try that achievement often comes from all the qualities of the manager and the team around you and this whole sense of accountability, integrity, and trust. Okay? Yes. We're not going to follow somebody we don't trust. Yep. We might, but not very far. No. (laughs) I might follow because it looks logical to me anyway, but I'm not following him much further than that. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, So now let's flip this. If I want to do a checklist that says, am I being accountable as an employee? Do you have a checklist for me? What do do I need to be doing personally? Um, I have in my book. Um, at the top of my mind, that's going to be a hard one. Okay. But uh, am I? What am I doing on this very day? How hard am I working? Am I? Do I know what I'm focusing on? Am I living up to that focus? Um, let's take it in the world of weight loss. Okay. Um, I wake up and I know that what I want to do is lose 12 pounds. Well, what am I going to do today that creates that? Am I going to go work out first? Am I going to run up and down the steps in my house? What am I going to eat for breakfast? Mm-hmm. Uh, what foods am I going to have in the fridge? Uh, we take it down to the minute detail. Mm-hmm. So if I go into work and I know that I have to achieve certain reports, do I have them lined up to go for it? Um, or am I going to get frustrated because somebody else hasn't given me the main topics I need? Uh, so am I calling those people? Am I doing the right actions? Okay. So I'm taking the right actions. And again, if you want a longer checklist than that, the book will give yes. you <laughs> Sorry. One, which is called Managing for Accountability, a Business Leader's Toolbox. All right. Um, let me give you my classic complaint, my last classic complaint. Um, I hear it all the time. I believe this about accountability, and this is what I do with my team, but upper management isn't doing the right things to make accountability work. So what's your response to that? Well, I sold my business and went to work in a larger organization. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happened was my team really rocked. Yeah. We had the highest profit of any unit in the business. And because of that, they were asking us to speak at conferences, uh, make statements at all-hands meetings. It didn't matter what everybody else was doing. We were doing it. And that caught the attention of upper management, and that caught the attention of other people. In my own home, uh, there were these eight other boys, and my son's behaviors caught everybody else's attention. Okay. I believe that you can role model up and sideways. Okay. So you're saying about this when do what is right for your team that's going to produce the kind of accountability and results that you believe is possible. Yes. 
and you believe that that is going to deliver results and the results will get noticed. I do. Okay. Results do usually get noticed. So yes, I think I might agree with you on that one. And you get asked to do more and more and more. All right, Lynn, before we run out of time, I'd be remiss having a specialist on conflict, not to just ask a little bit about the navigating conflict. Um, And I'll just say this is sort of a self-training manual for you, but kind of if you were going to give me one headline sentence about navigating conflict, what would it be? Well, you have to decide it's worth it. Because conflict is taking the heat. So you have to decide that if you don't take the heat, you're going to stay in the mess. Okay. And there's a price for staying in the mess. Most of us are afraid that if we start something, it'll get worse. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, it's very much like rancid chicken you take out of the fridge. Um, It doesn't smell very good. So you put it back in the fridge and hope it gets better. Uh, conflict doesn't get better. It festers. It it stinks up the whole fridge. So you've got to take some action. And that starts internally with deciding it's worth it. You don't have to fight every battle. Right. You have to fight the ones that are important. Okay. And if you don't succeed, then you have to look at what you haven't done right and do it better. Better. All right. This strikes me that that is a full circle with accountability. Yes, because part of the problem in a large organization is my team doesn't operate independently. I don't operate independently. That means that there are some conflicts and I have to decide which of those conflicts I want to take on that are worth it, that are going to elevate the accountability of everybody. And presumably, as I make some of those things clearer, I'm cleaning out the fridge so that what comes in next is going to be better than what has come in in the past. And that process... I think is where we build integrity and trust and accountability. Uh, when I discovered, I'm going to hold them up. I discovered that these two books uh-huh. um, had a lot of relationship. Yes. Uh, they, uh, if you're going to be accountable, you're going to have to deal with conflict. If you're going to deal with conflict, you better be accountable yourself. Uh, I didn't duplicate between the two books, but there was overlap all the way through say that. Well, I've everybody who listens to me on the podcast knows that I have a fundamental belief that the organizations that understand how to do conflict and do it constructively, do it well, are the ones that are going to win on results. What you've just shown me is why that will be true. Because it is tightly tied to the ability to get people to accept, to take ownership for, to choose, to be accountable for their part of what they're delivering. So perfect conclusion for this one. Wanda, you're an amazing interviewer. (laughs) Thank you. It helps to have really good guests. makes my life easy. My guest today is Lynn Curry. She's president of Communications Work. You can find her blog at workplacecoachblog.com. The book, Navigating Conflict, and then the book we've been talking about today, Managing for Accountability. Um, Lynn, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you. All right. Join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. If you like this podcast, please like us on your favorite podcast server, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.